Astoria to the Rockaways. It's time for the Queen's New Yorker. And here is the man giving you all the info, your uber snazzy and jazzy host, Mr. Jason Gacaneo. Yeah. Thank you, Jason Kelly. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, what a group. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Oh, what a group tonight. Happy Cinco de Mayo to all of you. And I am Jason Kennedy, your host of the Queens New Yorker on this Thursday, May 5th. 2022 this is episode 205 and today with 3938 listens we're going to be looking at the history of Dugan's Bakery yeah Dugan's Bakery if you know about it we're going to look at some articles pertaining to it and give you the lowdown from a perspective That's right. yeah Dugan's Bakery So, this is going to be an interesting show because I'm going to be learning a lot about this this company as much as you are. If you've known about it, it's probably way before my time. But my mother even said that when she was a little girl growing up in the project, well, not in the projects, but when she wanted to go see her aunts and, and uncles that they lived in the projects, uh, Dugan's uh, vans used to come around and they used to get the, they delivered to everybody's houses so you could get your... Uh, Whatever you wanted, a donut or a crawler, crumb bun, crumb cake, whatever you wanted, right there in the courtesy of the mobile vans that drove for Dugan's Bakery. So we're going to look at that history today and get right on it. And first up is a look from the New York Times article that was written by Laura Stanley back in 2002, November 27, 2002. Titled, 124-Year-Old Bread Baked Fresh Today. Okay. So, she writes, Snowy white sliced Pullman loaves, neatly wrapped in wax paper, fresh crumb cake on Saturdays, and hot cross buns every morning for Lent. <laughs> Real, really mouth-puckering lemon meringue pie, sour cream muffins, and oven fresh hot dog rolls bagged and hung on the doorknob at dawn. Well, that will all sound familiar to anyone who grew up on Staten Island in the 1940s, 50s, or 60s, in the days when the borough's housewives placed orders for milk and baked goods, and union drivers in uniform delivered them. The island's big bakeries sent trucks door-to-door, offering the same middle American fare that mid-century children across the nation were raised on. Old-timers remember the names of the bakeries, Hathaway, Dugan, Larson, all gone now, and Holterman's, the only one left. Nothing much has changed at Holterman's in a half a century or more. The delivery trucks are long gone, 
but not the recipes. The equipment of the family, now in its fourth generation and 124th year of ownership, it is still in the same brick building at 405 King Arthur Road near Giffords Lane that the second generation proprietor, Albert Halterman, moved to in 1930. You can still pick up a Charlotte Russe trimmed in dainty retro red and white paper and crowned with real whipped cream and a Marciano cherry, and you can buy the iced buns that some customers still call trolley buns, the name they were given by the train station vendors who sold them in the 1930s. The honey cookies and spicy fruit bars date back to the days of Klaus Holterman, the bakery's German-born founder. For his great-grandsons, Jeff and Billy Holterman, cousins who now run the business, this legacy is just another fact of a hard-working life. Now 43 and 51, they have spent most of their years in the quiet mid-island neighborhood that borders the cluster of 19th century buildings known as historic Richmond Town, just blocks away from the first two Holterman sites. They are secreted away from the noisy commercial sprawl that covers much of the area, but hardly sheltered from the changes it has imposed. It's gotten very tough, said Jeff Holterman, especially these days when most people would soon pick up an industrial-produced Danish at the supermarket and drive out of their way for the more perishable, handmade kind. Their output is minimal compared with the truck route years. When the bakery turned out some 5,000 Pullman loaves a day, now they make fewer than 100 at a time, almost entirely by hand, since it's not worth their while to set up and clean the old rounding and dividing machines for sm such small batches. They still use Occident flour and the brand that their grandfather chose for bread. Hot dog and hamburger buns are also shaped on the bench, and all the white bread products are painstakingly made with a time-consuming sponge dough. They may not be trendy, but the results are delicious. To baby boomers who remember bread like this, its simple goodness is a little heartbreaking. To think that it was once ordinary, something everyone took for granted. That bread is a real thing, says Annie Huck Lawson, an associate professor of nutrition and food history at Brooklyn College. She stumbled on Holterman's two years ago while doing research for the Smithsonian Institution on historical New York City foods. When I was a child in Park Slope, we were very much accustomed to good local bread, she said. Not the high-end European-style loaves in vogue now, but really good sliced white bread and hot dog buns, the kind you, go, you got in school or camp. It had flavor and texture, she said. Now, whoever's baking like this is the exception to the rule. I mean, the buns at the ballparks are nothing to speak of. To such accolades, family members offer self-effacing shrugs. Self-effacing shrugs. My kids prefer Martins. And Billy Holterman said, what can you do? Well, the Holterman staff of 25 now bakes in a living museum, a cavernous cement-floored workroom with huge overbuilt machines whose sturdy cast metal fittings are worn smooth from the decades of hard use. The whisks, paddles, and bowls on the main size vintage Hobart and Rico stand mixers are all original and as good as ever. If something breaks, the family calls on 82-year-old Harry Klein to fix it. And some of the equipment was there when he started in 1942. He's been there ever since, except for the wartime years he spent overseas, where he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. When I went into service, he said, Mr. Holterman, Jeff's grandfather, said, make sure you come back. So I came back, and here I am now. 
<laughs> Cliff Holterman, Jeff's father, now semi-retired, said, Harry comes with the building, but Mr. Klein is hardly the only old-timer. Cliff, who is 74, still arrives at 5 every Sunday morning to make donuts. He buys the jelly filling from the same Yonkers supplier his father used. Billy's father, Al Holterman, died last year. His influence still holds strong, and he was the only family member ever to go for professional training at the baking program of the Dunwoody Institute in Minneapolis. Al brought us up to date, said Cliff, a half century ago, that is. Most of the coffee cakes the bakery sells today were 1950s-style innovations Al brought back from the Dunwoody. The same sort of cakes went home in the recipe books of the Entenmann brothers, more celebrated Dunwoody, Dunwoody alumni whose careers took a decidedly different turn. We wanted to stay small, Cliff Holterman said. Entenmann's has to use a lot more preservatives than we like to. The look is the same, though, right down to the windows and blue script on the glossy white boxes. Cliff Holterman keeps old holiday order forms from the 1950s on file, his own and competitors as well. Larson's is beautiful with a splendid black and white photo of a fruit-studded stolen laid out on a doily. We made stolen too, he said, and I would try to make things a little different than they did so we wouldn't compete. But before I knew it, they had been stealing my ideas, so that's what happened. Before long, we were all making more or less the same thing. He bought equipment from the others as they dropped out of business, including five Dugan trucks from the 1940s, one of which now sits on blocks in the bakery's garage. The guys didn't like them because you had to stand up to drive them, he said. They were good, though. They used to go through the snow. They'd go through anything. I could see that truck in the Smithsonian, Dr. Huck Lawson said. The Holtermans would like to see it spruced up and rolled out for local parades. And it's not just the truck that faces an uncertain future. When Mr. Klein can't service the equipment anymore, Jeff Holterman said, that's when we'll sell and get out of here. Really? Oh, I don't really know, he admitted. It's just so hard to get outside people to come in and do this kind of stuff. Billy Holterman added, part of the reason we're here is tradition. This bakery has been here so long, people would really miss it. And there you have it, folks. From the New York Times, the Holtermans talk about the good old days 124 years later. Thank you, Laura Stanley, for your contributing story to the Dugan's truck. Now, let's look at Dugan's Man by John Shutkin. This is from MyRetrospect.com. And this one is on April 15th, two years ago. And John writes, as mentioned, I grew up in a rural town in Connecticut called Bethany. Bethany was <clears throat> only about five miles, actually five and six tenths, as I recall the directions my parents would explicitly give out from the New Haven line, but truly was the sticks at that time. It had only two general stores slash gas stations, so any real shopping required driving. Compounding this issue, when my parents moved to Bethany just before I was born, they had only one car. Not atypical for post-World War II families. My father was a doctor and professor at Yale Medical School, so he obviously had to get in town every day. And as I recall, one or two days a week, he carpooled into New Haven with other Yale doctors who lived in Bethany. But otherwise, my mother was carless. So door-to-door -door sales were pretty important to meeting our shopping needs. There was, of course, the Fuller Brush Man and a knife sharpener and even a fairly decent food truck 
that came a couple times a week and had a freezer unit with beets and meats and frozen foods. None of these interested me much. I vastly preferred to go shopping in stores, but there were two door-to-door merchants whom I looked forward to. The first, of course, the Good Humor Man, who came every Sunday and from whose truck we'd stock up for the week. And he always seemed to find a must-up treat of some sort at the back of his freezer to give to our huge dog, Lum, who would devour it in a couple of gulps. I assume a lot of us remember the Good Humor Man, but does anyone else remember the Dugan's Man? Well, Dugan's was a door-to-door bakery that came by once or twice a week. I believe it operated only in the New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut areas, so that would be the tri-state area. Unlike the good humor man, the Dugan's man got out of his blue and white truck and came inside with his huge basket, always announcing himself in a deep voice, It's the Dugan's man! And I recall our Dugan's man was tall. Of course, everyone looked tall to me then, with blonde curly hair and looked and sounded a lot like Duward Kirby, the announcer of the Gary on the Gary Moore show. In fact, I got... Once got up the nerve to mention this to him, and he broke into a big grin and said, Yeah, a lot of people say that. <laughs> in any event, even though there was an excellent bakery in town, who could complain about a bakery that brought its stuff right to your home? I mean, this was like the candy store actually coming to you. And like most kids, I just craved sweets generally. So I couldn't even tell you if Dugan's products were particularly good, but I can still vividly remember my favorites from Dugan's. French crawlers, a six-pack, yellow cupcakes with thick, rich frosting on top that you could remove easily and save for last, eight to a box, two with vanilla frosting, two with strawberry, and four with chocolate, and apple spice cupcakes with vanilla frosting. My mother, to her credit, limited our weekly quota of this stuff, but I still remember scarfing it all down joyously with a glass or two of Hawaiian punch. (laughs) It's amazing that I didn't just walk around with a constant sugar high. In any event, I now realize that I knew about and craved food porn even before I knew about porn porn. (laughs) Of course, like most families, we eventually got two cars. And so even as Bethany stayed pretty royal over the years, it became a whole lot easier to go to the shopping than have it come to you. And I am sure that that was a pattern that repeated itself throughout middle-class America as we were growing up and contributed to the metaphorical death of the door-to-door salesman with apologies to Arthur Miller. In fact, in looking for an image for this story, I came across this obituary from 1964 of the then-president of Dugan's. And there's a story there. And as noted, he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound at age 52, Of course, one can never know what might motivate someone to commit suicide, especially a stranger, but I do wonder if it had anything to do with the demise of his door-to-door business. Rest in peace, Dugan's man. Thank you, John Shutkin, for that wonderful reminiscence trip down memory lane. There you have it, Halterman's and Dugan's Bakeries, all here today on The Queen's New Yorker.
Okay, so coming up on Saturday's edition, we'll be back with Saturday's episode 206 with a look at a great company that makes some very interesting canned products. We'll be looking at Goya Foods, and they were based out in New York, even though they were very much uh, Spanish and Latin, and all the communities love them today. Everybody cooks with Goya beans, pasta, whatever the case. Goya is one company you can remember. Goya, oh boya. That's right. We'll see you on Saturday for a look at Goya Foods. I'm Jason Acanio. Remember, be honest, be real, and keep a simple, stupid kiss on the Queens, New Yorker, right here on Anchor and Spotify. We'll see you on Saturday. Have a good night. Bye-bye. You have been watching the Queens, New Yorker. This is Jason Kelly on a Jason DeCanio internet presentation. Thank you for your support.